Father God, I just thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for this time together. I thank you mostly, Lord, for your word and your truth, Lord, that uh, speaks to us every day, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to receive it and that these be your words and not mine. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, I don't know how the rest of you feel, but uh, this week I made an official call that summer is over. I made a, yeah. yeah, I know there's a date on the calendar, and I know there's a specific time of the day when summer's officially over, but uh, it doesn't happen for me until I make the official call. So this Tuesday morning, I made the official call that summer is over. It was Tuesday morning. It was foggy. It was drizzly. I was standing outside of work with another coworker, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I said, Mark, I think summer is over. Yeah. And he said, I know what you mean. He said, I need a vacation. And, the, and I said, yeah, me too. I really need a vacation. I don't know about you, but I really need one. So if you're like me and you need a vacation, I'm going to show you some vacation opportunities here this morning. And you get to pick. You get to pick which one you want to choose. Okay? So I've chosen a couple of hotel rooms from around the world. You get to choose. Here's the first one. Oh, Yes. Yeah, this one's in a major European city. On the outside, it looks really awesome. It looks great. It really does. But I've got to tell you, on the inside, um, the linens are really dirty, and there's no towels. And maybe you're thinking, well, it's not too bad. It's okay. I guess it'll do. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I kind of grew up like this, and, and I really don't deserve any better, so, okay, I'll take it. See, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of doubt and a lot of regret and a lot of uh, feelings that you're not worth it. That's what's in this room right here. So, if you want this room, you can have it. But I do need to tell you something. The price for this room is very, very high. It costs a lot, a lot more than you think. But you can have it if you want it. So if you want to write that one down, number one, maybe that's what you want. No, not too many takers. Okay, let's try the next one. Here's number two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this one's in a major Asian city. Yeah, yeah. And on the outside, it looks really nice, and it's got running water. At least we think that's water, and we're not really sure about that. And I would like to show you more pictures from the inside of this room, but... The bylaws of the uh, International Foursquare Church prohibit me from showing any further pictures on this one here. And this one actually is in a very dangerous part of the city. Uh, It's not secure at all. There's a lot of fear in this room. And uh, it's yours if you want it, though. You can have it. But this one here, this one costs a lot. This one may cost you everything you have and everything you ever will have. But you can have it if you want it. It's yours. No? No. Let's try one more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this one's in Miami. This is at the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. And it's not a room. It's suites and suites of rooms. It's got bathroom after bathroom and room after room. It's unbelievably nice. It's got people at your beck and call. You need something, you call. They answer. It's unbelievably nice. It's got a big veranda with an ocean view and the cool breeze is coming off of it. It's unbelievably nice. And you can have it. It's yours. You'll never sleep so soundly as when you sleep in this room. It's yours. 
And here's the best news. It's free. Yeah, 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 I see people smiling. I want this room. You can have this room. It's free. It's all yours. All you have to do is say, that's what I want. And it's yours. That's what I want. Would you be surprised to know that there are some people in this room who chose one and chose two? Would you be surprised to know there's people in this room that have chosen both one and two? There's people in this room that don't want number three. And if I told you who that was, wouldn't you say, why? Why would you want to stay there when I've got a much better option for you? The truth is, every one of us in this room have chosen one or two, and we continue to go back to one and two. We can have three, but for some reason, we like number one and number two. I don't know why. But let's find out today. So we're going to be today in the book of John, chapter 19. And we're going to take a look and see what happened to them. Rich said that since I was preaching, we're probably in the book of Exodus because everybody always leaves. But that's not true. It's not mean. That's terrible. Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we're in verse 19, and this is what verse 19 says. It says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So up to this point, we have learned that the tomb is now empty. We know it, and the disciples know it. Mary has seen and spoken with Jesus. She's told the disciples this. And they know it. We're not exactly what sure what room that they're in. We're not sure what room they're in, but we're pretty sure it's the upper room where they held the Last Supper. And this is where they are. This is where they're staying. And it says the doors were shut. The doors were locked. And we know the doors were locked because this room this word right here, it's in the previous slide, the room for shut, is actually the same word that's used in the book of Acts when the apostles were thrown into prison. And the guards came to get them, and they weren't there. And they reported back to the Jewish leaders that the guards were standing in place, and the doors were shut. They were locked tight, but the disciples weren't there. They found them in the garden later, or not in the garden, but in the temple yards later, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why are the doors locked? The doors are locked because the disciples are afraid. It says they're afraid of the Jews, but what this really means is... They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're Jewish themselves, so they can't be afraid of the Jews. They're not afraid of themselves. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. The disciples are gathered in the house, and the doors are locked with fear. So here's my question for you. How about you? What room are you locked in? What doors do you lock? I know this room. This room called fear, I'm very familiar with it. I've spent a lot of time in this room with the doors locked because I was afraid. And every so often, I make a room reservation, and I want to go back into that room. It's called fear. And I don't know what yours is called. Maybe it's called regret. Maybe it's called doubt. Maybe it's called hopelessness. But you've got a room reservation. Maybe more than one. And I know that because we've all got one. 
think about the name of yours and write it down. So what happens next for the disciples? Well, Jesus shows up. And what does he say to them? He says to them, peace. Peace. Not exactly what I'm looking for when I'm in the middle of my fear. Not exactly what I'm looking for when I'm in the middle of a crisis or I'm in trouble. But that's what he says to them. He comes to them and he says to them, peace. I'm looking for a way out, but he says, peace. Now, if you think that's kind of like me saying to you, hey, it'll be okay. Everything's going to work out fine. It'll all be good. Everything's going to be great. If you think that's what Jesus is saying, that's not what he's saying at all. Because this is what he said back in John 14. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You've heard that I said I will go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now that I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. But they forgot. And so do we. We forgot. Verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. See, oh, then they rejoiced. Then they rejoiced. See, they saw the empty tomb already. They heard Mary come to them and say, I've seen him. I've spoken with him. He was there. He was dead. Their doors are locked, and he shows up in the middle of their room. Not good enough. He says to them, peace. Not good enough. He shows them his hands and his side. Oh, and then they believe. See, I'd like to be very critical of the disciples right now, but I really can't be because I do the same thing. I know he's given me eternal life. I know he's rescued me a million times. I know he's never, never failed me or forsaken me. I know all of this, but still I want to see the results. And then I believe. And then I rejoice. I should be rejoicing every single day for who he is. That he's given me eternal life. What more do I need than that? How about you? Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also sent you. So let me repeat that again, says Jesus. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. See, again, to me anyway, it's interesting that he does not speak to their fear. They are afraid for their lives. But he says, peace, my father sent me, I'm sending you. In the middle of this crisis situation, honestly, they think they're going to die. He died. They think they're going to die. But he doesn't speak to them fear, their fear. He gives them his peace and reminds them his mission. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when I'm reading a, a, a verse... A single word will jump out at me. And this time the word receive jumped out at me. I even said at home, oh, and my wife's like, what? And I said, receive. I wonder what that means. I mean, I know what it means. It means to take, right? It means to receive something. 
but I thought I'd look it up. What's it mean in the original language? So I went and looked it up. It's actually the Greek word lambano, L-A-M-B-A-N-O, lambano, which means to actively lay hold of, to take, to receive. This word emphasizes, get this, this word emphasizes the assertiveness of the receiver. You have to actively go get it. And I love that because this week in Men's Fraternity, we were talking about not living a passive life, about leading courageously, about being men of action. That's what this word means. Don't just sit back and wait for it to be handed to you. Go get it. He wants to give it to you. Go take it. The Holy Spirit. I'm giving you my peace, says Jesus, not the world's peace. And I want you to now actively take hold of what I want to give you, the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So this verse ties into receiving the Holy Spirit. This verse doesn't change the fact that God's the only one who can forgive sins. But what it does do is it sends this message that we are to take to the world. That if we go to God and ask for forgiveness, God will forgive us. That's what this says. God will forgive us. And we're given that same message to share with others. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We like to pick on Thomas a lot for this, don't we? This is where we get that phrase, doubting Thomas. You've heard that phrase? That's when you're supposed to believe something that's right there, that's so evident, but you don't. And we say, why are you such a doubting Thomas? That's where this phrase comes from, the doubting Thomas. But we have to remember something, a couple of things. One, Thomas wasn't in that upper room locked in fear. He wasn't there. We don't know where he was, but he wasn't there hiding in fear. Secondly, when Lazarus died and Jesus was going back and everybody said, don't go, Jesus, because they want to kill you. Thomas is the one who said, no, let's go with him. Let's die with him. Thomas is no coward. We like to pick on him, but he's no coward. He says, I just want to see it for myself. Verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, same word, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. See, the tomb of Jesus is open and empty. And this room that the disciples in is closed and locked. This room has become their tomb. Jesus is free, but the disciples are bound with fear. What are you bound in? The disciples have separated themselves and their lives from the reality that Jesus has been resurrected. The doors of their faith have been closed. They have shut their eyes to the reality that life is now different. It has to be different. It has to be because Jesus has been resurrected. You know the resurrected Jesus, so the question is, is your life different? It has to be. And if it's not, you need to get to know him. And if you don't know him, today's a great day to find him. They've locked out Mary Magdalene's words of faith, hope, and love. How about you? We tend to do that. They've left the empty tomb of Jesus and entered their own tombs of fear, doubt, and blindness. 
So the question is, what rooms do we hide in? They've locked themselves in from the inside out. See, one week later, and they're still here. Jesus came to them, and they're still in the same room. Jesus comes to us, and sometimes we stay in the same exact place. Why are they still there? Verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. See, Thomas makes this declaration that you are my Lord and you are my God, and Jesus doesn't correct him. So if there's any doubt that Jesus is God, this should answer it right here. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He's my Lord and my God. And while you may want to criticize Thomas for believing only upon sight and being slow to believe when he does believe, it's sure and it's solid. If it takes you a while like it does me, take your time. He's waiting for us. And when you get there, it'll be sure and it'll be solid. Verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So many other signs and so many miracles, confirmed miracles, that aren't written in this book. Why aren't they here? I don't know, but here's my guess. Because we don't need a laundry list, like a laundry list of hotel rooms. We don't need a laundry list to pick and choose which ones we like and which one we don't, which one's better and which one's not. Don't we have enough just from what's in his word? Isn't there enough just from his word to believe? We're just asked to believe. And here are the three things that I believe he wants to say to us today, and these are on your handout. And the first one is this. Jesus comes with a message for you. Jesus comes with a message for you. Peace. Verse 19 says this, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, when the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And verse 21 says this, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Romans 8:15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And John 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus comes with a message of peace in spite of the room we want to lock ourselves into and takes action from us to get out. Jesus comes to us with a message of peace. Let me give you a personal example. This happens every time I preach. After preparing all week on Saturday evening, I walk into this room called doubt, and I close the door and I lock it because it's not good enough, and I'm not good enough, and there's not enough jokes, or there's too many, and there's not enough verses, or there's too many, and who am I to stand up here and tell any of you anything? And that's where I am inside this room called doubt. And Jesus always comes in and he says, peace. Because I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy, but he is. And he shows me the door and I step out. And I just bring his message. 
that's all I can do. Let me give you another example. It's from the world of work. And I think I have to work a lot of hours. And I think I have to, like, really go at it and spend all the time there. I even worked for a department once where they expect you to work 60 hours a week. They expected it. You had to be there 60 hours a week. They expected it. And we do that because we're afraid sometimes. Sometimes we have to, but sometimes we're afraid. So we keep working and working and working and we're there. But here's something I read this week. Sometimes the greatest exercise of faith is to only work 40 hours a week. The rest, we have to trust God. So Jesus comes with a message, a message of peace in spite of what the world might bring. And the question is, will you accept it? Because he's bringing it to you. Secondly, Jesus comes with a mission for you. He comes with a mission Verse 19, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. You're in the middle of your fear or doubt or grief or unforgiveness or regret or your loss. And Jesus says, I have a mission for you. Just as my Father sent me, I'm sending you. Yeah, in the middle of your struggle, I'm sending you. I'm giving you my peace and I'm sending you. This week we read... uh, we were reading in our daily reading the book of uh, ne- about Nehemiah. And uh, Dan mentioned it this morning before service. And uh, one of the things I got out of that was uh, the fact that Nehemiah, he was just a cupbearer to the king. He was nothing really. I mean, that's a pretty lowly position to walk up and give a guy a cup. That's all he did. But Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem. He heard about the walls in Jerusalem, how they were torn down. He heard about the gates in Jerusalem, how they were broken And he was very sad about this, and he prayed to his God, to God, and God said that he was going to soften the heart of the king. So when the king saw Nehemiah, he said, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? And Nehemiah, with great fear, asked for permission to go rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And the king not only sent him, he sent him with a cavalry of soldiers, with army officers, and with letters of authority. You're no different than Nehemiah. God is sending you with an army of angels. He's sending you with his letters of authority. He's sending you on a mission. God has a mission for you. In Psalm 112, it says this, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. That's you. His heart is firm. That's you. Trusting in the Lord. That's you. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. That's you. Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Psalm 112 reminds us that those rooted in God aren't moved by circumstance. Those firmly planted with God's solid foundation are never afraid. They don't live behind locked doors. Jesus demonstrated this so well when they came to arrest him. Jesus, it says, knowing full well what would happen to him, came forward and said, Whom do you seek? He knew what was going to happen to him, but he didn't live behind a locked door. He came forward and said, Whom do you seek? And he knew darn well who they were looking for. They were looking for him. But he wasn't afraid because he was on a mission. The Father had sent him, and you're on a mission too. Finally, 
Jesus comes with a plan for you. Right, Jackie? (laughs) Jackie said that this morning. Jesus comes with a plan for you, verse 31, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Isaiah 25, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I give thanks for your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And Jeremiah 29:11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. In Joshua 5.9, I love this one. God told Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. God is calling thousands of people out of locked rooms, out of their old lives of bondage. He's calling them to become new people, living out his plan for their lives in the promised land. God wants Christians to move out of the hotel of doubt and fear and move into the room that's been reserved for you. And it's a guaranteed reservation. Late check-in allowed. God told the children of Israel to destroy their idols, and he is telling us today the same thing. God has a plan for you, and it's yours if you're willing to accept his peace and his mission for you. God's best, and this is on the bottom of your handout, God's best will never happen inside closed rooms, closed hearts, or closed lives. There comes a time when we must live the resurrection. It's not always easy because there's days when we want to cover up in our bed, pull the sheets over, and shut the world out. But God is calling us to live the resurrection. Sometimes it's easier and safer to lock the doors than it is to meet with the circumstances and the people. But what keeps us there? Maybe like the disciples, it's fear. Maybe it's questions. Maybe it's disbelief or the conditions we place on our faith. Maybe it's sorrow or loss. Maybe the wounds are so deep it doesn't seem worth the risk. But Jesus is always entering the unlocked places of our lives. Unexpected, he steps into our closed lives and our closed hearts. Standing among us, he offers us peace and breathes new life into us. It happens all the time, but you have to open up the door. Storms will still come. Jobs are still lost. Finances are always a struggle. People will disappoint us. Hearts will still break. The hungry still need to be fed. Our children will wander off and loved ones will die. The life and peace of Jesus and his resurrection enable us to meet and live through these circumstances. He gives us his peace, his life, his breath, and sends us out. We are free to unlock the doors of our lives and step into his promises. Let me call the worship team back up here as I close with this story. And it's a true story. It's about a woman who was locked in a room called unforgiveness. She wasn't really sure she was there, but she found out she was in a very unexpected way. Some of you may have heard of her. Her name is Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom was born in Amsterdam. And when the Nazis came to power in the 1930s, Corrie and her family hid Jews behind a false wall in Corrie's bedroom. In 1944, Corey's family was arrested and sent to Ravensbrück, one of the worst German Nazi camps there was. There, Corey's entire family was killed. And Corey herself was scheduled to be killed too, but because of a clerical error, shortly before the war ended, she was released. Corey concluded that God had saved her for a mission, a purpose. She committed her life to preaching the good news 
of Jesus Christ. And at one meeting in Germany in 1947, she taught on God's forgiveness. Afterwards, a man came up to her and introduced himself as a former Ravensbrück guard. But Corey needed no introduction. She remembered him well because he was noted for his cruelty. He said, I've become a Christian since the war. I know that God has forgiven me for the horrible things I did, but I'd like to hear it from you. Can you tell me that you've forgiven me too? He put out his hand. Corey stood there for what seemed like an eternity, unable to think of anything but the horrors this man had committed. She silently prayed, Jesus help me. And then she took the man's hand and cried out, I forgive you, brother. And she said later, I've never known God's love so intensely as I did at that very moment. See, Corey accepted God's message of peace. She didn't have to, and she had every reason not to, but she did. She accepted his mission to forgive. She didn't have to, but she did. And finally, Corey accepted God's plan for her life. She stepped out of that room called unforgiveness. So what room are you hiding in? And what's it going to get you to step out of it? Maybe today you'd like prayer for that. Maybe that's the first step to getting out of that room. I would love to pray with you after service, and I'm sure Dan will be here too to pray with you. There'll be others as well. Let's take the first step to getting out of those rooms and start living the plan of the life that God has called for us. Will you do that?